Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church Podcast. The current sermon series is entitled, Authentic Walk. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. During World War II, English author J.R. Tolkien wrote an epic fantasy trilogy called The Lord of the Rings. Designed to be a sequel to his book, The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings was later made into a movie trilogy in the early 2000s. Directed by Peter Jackson, the movie trilogy went on to become one of the highest grossing movie series of all time while winning several Academy Award nominations. The trilogy starts with a movie called The Fellowship of the Ring, which introduces a group of characters called The Fellowship. The Fellowship is a ragtag group of hobbits and elves, and dwar- a dwarf, a prince, and a wizard, all rallying together for one ambitious cause, and that is to save the world from the Dark Lord Sauron. Besides the action and the compelling story and the special effects, one of the uh, other enjoyable aspects of the movie is seeing this group of strangers from different backgrounds with various strengths and weaknesses come together, setting aside their differences, but coming together for a greater cause. Together, the Fellowship of the Ring accomplished more than they could have individually, and in the process, they forged deep, rich relationships that would last a lifetime. Just as the one ring of Sauron bonded a couple of hobbits, an elf, a dwarf, a prince, and a wizard in fellowship, the scriptures say that walking in the light makes the power of fellowship possible for believers. We're beginning a new series uh, this morning in 1 John called Authentic Walk. I'd like to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word with me to 1 John chapter 1 and pull out the sermon notes that are in the worship folder that you received when you came in this morning so that you can follow along with my outline. If you forgot your Bible, just raise your hand and uh, one of our ushers can bring you uh, one of ours. We've got several Bibles we can loan to you. We want you to have a copy, so don't be ashamed. We uh, want you to be able to follow along with us. As you're turning there, uh, let me give you a little bit of background on 1 John to help you understand uh, what John is writing about, what he's feeling, what he's thinking, and a little bit about who he is. Uh, John was uh, one of the 12 apostles that uh, served with Jesus during his earthly ministry. Uh, John was unique amongst the 12 apostles in that First of all, he was relationally close to Jesus. The Gospels tell us that Peter and James and John were part of Jesus' inner circle. He had the 12, and then within the 12, he had the three, Peter, James, and John, that he spent extra time with. So thus, along with Peter and James, John heard more of Jesus' teaching, saw more of his miracles, and knew him more intimately than the other nine disciples. John was also faithfully close to Jesus. The gospel accounts tell us that John was the only apostle 
to stay with Jesus through his crucifixion. The others scattered as they feared for their own lives, but not John. He was there, and he stayed. He didn't care about his own life. Some of you know from personal experience that watching someone you love die leaves an indelible mark on you. John was faithfully close to Jesus, and he was relationally close, but he also was emotionally connected to Jesus. Not only does watching your close friend die form a unique bond, but also taking care of your best friend's mother after he dies does too. And John did that. Jesus asked John while on the cross to take care of his mother, Mary. Jesus, so excuse me, John saw Jesus die. He saw Jesus' mother die and the rest of the apostles be martyred and was the last one left behind from that original group. That has to have had an impact on him. As the last living apostle that ministered with Jesus, it's believed that John wrote these three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John that you see in your Bible, uh, in the sunset of his life, somewhere around 90 to 95 A.D., while he was ministering in and around Ephesus. The date is important because it would have been more than 50 years after Jesus had walked on earth. Just think about that. Imagine if you had seen and experienced and heard what John heard, and then you live another 50 years past that. I mean, where were you 50 years ago? I wasn't here yet. <laughs> and a lot's happened since then. John, 1 John, excuse me, is a, a book of concern. It's a letter of concern. He is trying to course correct a few trends that he already saw developing at the end of the first century that were troubling him. Uh, here's just a few themes that we'll see in the coming weeks as we work through this series. Uh, John was uh, really concerned about too many people claiming to know Jesus that actually didn't. He was concerned about the increasing number of false teachers spreading false gospels. And he was concerned about the diminishing witness of those that did know Christ. And so, inspired by the Holy Spirit, John uses apostolic authority and his own eyewitness testimony to call his listeners back to the real gospel and an authentic walk with Jesus Christ. You'll notice in the verses that we're going to be studying in the next few weeks that John's tone, his style, um, and I have these on your outline so you can fill this in, his style and tone is, first of all, pastoral, which means he's comforting. Uh, for example, we're going to see John use language like beloved in chapter 2, and then a couple times in chapter 4, beloved. He's also going to refer to his listeners as children, sort of being the grandfather of the faith. And he's, he'll use that term in chapter 2 three times. Children, dear children. But also, John, he's not just pastoral and thus comforting, he's also prophetic, which means he's correctional or maybe even confrontational. Uh, John, for example, calls false converts in chapter 2 liars, well, he even uses the term liars in chapter 1, too, we're going to see here today. He calls false teachers in chapter 2 antichrists. He's, he's sort of in your face 
And, and I'll explain why as we work our way through this series, why I think he feels this way. But just imagine if, if you had loved somebody very dearly who was famous, and then they died, and there were a bunch of other people saying, oh yeah, I knew him too, when you knew they didn't. And let's say those other people that claimed to know your friend who was famous, and they just wanted to sort of be famous by association, they were saying things about your friend that you know are not true. How would you feel? That, that kind of emotion comes out in John's letter. Where he's, he, sort of, he sort of has some moments where he's like, oh, no, 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 you don't. No, 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 I knew him. You didn't. I was there. He never said that. He said this. So there's going to be some moments where we're going to see that. So John is pastoral and comforting. He's prophetic and correctional. He also states he's very direct and intentional, and he states his purpose in writing this letter, which is rare. It's not common that uh, even Paul really didn't do this. Um, So John lists the purposes for writing his letter, and he says so uh, four times. In chapter 1, verse 4, he says, I write so that you might have joy. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I write that you might stop sinning. In chapter 2, verse 26, he says, I write so that you won't be deceived. There's people out there trying to deceive you. And then in chapter 5, verse 13, he says, I'm writing so that you would have security, that you would feel secure in your faith in Christ. There are two key words that are going to come up over and over again throughout John, or 1 John, excuse me. Bible scholars often try to look for repeated terms in the writings of the scriptures. And the reason is, uh, looking at favorite words of the author often can help us identify the themes that the author is trying to drive home by looking at what do they keep saying over and over again. There's a purpose in the repetition. And so uh, in 1 John, two words that are used the most are love, as in the kind of love found in a spiritual relationship. He uses the word more than 25 times throughout this short book, mainly to describe how the abundant love of God should inspire us to love one another. The other key word is know, as in K-N-O, to have knowledge, as in acquiring spiritual knowledge or an experience. Uh, John uses it 20 to 30 times throughout this book, uh, depending on which Bible translation you look at. The theme verse for this book is uh, 1 John chapter 2, uh, verses 4 to 6. If you would look in your Bibles there, I want to encourage you to underline it. I like to highlight a theme verse when I preach through a book because I think it helps remind us what the book is about, and Scripture memory is a good habit. It's a good discipline to have. And so I want to encourage you to learn this verse with me, or these two verses. I've kind of taken, for simplicity's sake, to make it memorable Uh, John can be a little verbose and um, wordy, in other words. So I took uh, half of verse 4 and half of 6 and put it together to kind of simplify his thought. And so with that, um, it's on your outline, but it's also on the screen behind me. Let's say it out loud together. Whoever says I know him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now, throughout this series, we're going to hear this rugged ministry veteran tell this simple truth in several different ways. And it's this, real Christians really walk with Christ. John will tell us with 
unapologetic boldness. If you claim to know Jesus, then walk with him, be like him, sacrifice for him, and suffer for him. He will also tell us the inverse. Don't claim to know Jesus if you don't want to walk with him, don't want to be like him, don't want to sacrifice, and don't want to suffer for him. And if you don't believe me, come for the next 12 weeks consecutively and don't miss another week and you'll see. So set an attendance record, a streak. Here's the big idea for today. In chapter 1, John unpacks the concept of light and fellowship. Uh, the big idea, I like to say, is a sermon in a sentence. It's my way of boiling it down into a very succinct statement of what's the point today? What do you need to remember Wednesday of this coming week when you're reflecting on what you heard today? And it's this, walking in the light makes biblical fellowship possible. Walking in the light makes biblical fellowship possible. What John is going to communicate to us as we look at these verses, 10 verses in chapter 1, he's going to convey, either directly or implicitly, that real Christ followers hunger for, look for, make time for, make it a priority in their life to have biblical fellowship because they know they need it. The term fellowship is often overused and misunderstood in many American evangelical churches today. This is one reason why I have put the adjective biblical in front of it. Many churches like to redefine it as sort of, uh, you know, it's just coffee and tea after the service talking about the weather and sports. Um, that's, that's actually not what the term meant in the New Testament. And while I love coffee and I love sports, that's fine, but it's not fellowship. One of the best definitions of biblical fellowship, or at least best descriptions of it, that I've heard in several, uh, I heard it several years ago. It's by Dr. Ron Sider, who was sometimes a controversial professor of theology at Palmer Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. Sider writes this, for the early Christians, fellowship was not the frilly fellowship of church-sponsored bi-weekly bowling parties. It was not tea and cookies and sophisticated small talk in the fellowship hall after the sermon. It was an almost unconditional sharing of their lives with the other members of Christ's body. What happens when God grants the gift of genuine Christian fellowship? Well, deep, joyful sharing replaces the polite prattle typically exchanged by Christians. Sisters and brothers begin to discuss the things that really matter to them. They disclose their inner fears, their areas of peculiar temptation, and their deepest joys. Now, that's kind of long to write down. So, I thought I would boil it down even more. I love succinctness, and I know that's hard to believe because I'm guilty of being verbose myself, but, but I love su uh, simplicity. And so, so, here's my best attempt at defining biblical fellowship in one sentence. And I've given you some blanks so that you can fill this in here. Um, if I was to take what the scriptures teach and Ron Sider's description and boil it down, one sentence, what is it? And why is it important? Well, I think biblical fellowship happens when Christ followers confidentially share their life, struggles, and experience with God together. 
Biblical fellowship happens when Christ followers confidentially share their life struggles and experience with God together. It's, it's not, to quote a lyric from a, um, an old Casting Crown song, um, it's not talking about the rain and mulling over things that won't last past today as we dance around the truth. It's not that. It's much deeper and more meaningful than that. And so uh, with that, uh, if you would look at verses 1 through 4 in First uh, uh, John chapter 1 as I read, and then I'll begin to unpack this passage for you and explain what John is saying. John says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands. Concerning the word of life, the word that was made manifest, we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Here's the first truth that John is telling us. The first point on your outline is this. Walking in the light begins with knowing the light of the world. Walking in the light begins with knowing the light of the world. In verse 3, John says, uh, I'm, we're telling you these things so that you can have fellowship with us. Uh, fellowship is uh, probably the most popular Greek word that American evangelicals know. It's koinonia. It, it means to have community or communion or to share or have something in common. That's what the root of koinonia means. It means to have in common. In the context of the church, koinonia refers to the intimate relationships that members are supposed to have as they give their lives away for the sake of the gospel. However, John says there's a prerequisite for these types of relationships, and that is you must have fellowship with the Father first. Notice that in verse 3 as well. Here, koinonia in verse 3, in talking about the Father, is used to describe the intimate relationship we can have with the Heavenly Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. I think there are two important takeaways here in verse 3, and that is, uh, first of all, that you cannot experience biblical fellowship without first knowing Christ. And our fellowship with each other and the Father is interconnected. The vertical and the horizontal are connected. This is why later in John, and you'll see this in a few weeks, uh, John says, no one can say, I love God, but hate my brother. He's trying to drive that home later on. You, you can't have unresolved conflict or conflict you've at least not tried to resolve with another believer, but say, oh man, I love Jesus with my whole heart though. John said, no, 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 no. You can't do that. They're interconnected. Kids experience what John is talking about when they play video games. And adults experience it when they uh, use their smartphones. When loading a game or launching an app, uh, it's common to receive an alert that says something like, some features require an internet connection. When this happens, the game or the app is telling us that we cannot access all of the wonderful features without a vertical connection. 
This is often because some of the greatest features are not locally stored. They're in the cloud. The same is true with biblical fellowship. All the benefits of fellowship cannot be experienced until there is a vertical connection first. And if you don't crave the uh, biblical fellowship, if you don't crave it, it brings into question, is there actually a vertical connection? Because John says, and Acts says, and several other places in the New Testament, is that if you've been born again and you have the indwelling Holy Spirit in you, you should want to be around other believers and have them speak into your life. So, what's applications that we can glean from this? I like to share applications because God has called us to be doers of the word, not just hearers. And so I like to share a couple practical applications. Now, these are not the only ones. The Holy Spirit may reveal something else for you personally in your life that you need to do after reading the first four verses. But here's two that come to mind. For an unbeliever, for someone who has not yet received Christ as their Savior, I think verses 1 through 4 say, they scream, trust in Christ for your salvation. Trust Jesus, your Lord and Savior. Because in addition to forgiveness and peace with God and eternal life, John says that one of the many blessings that born-again believers get to have is healthy relationships with other believers. If you're not sure how to do that, please don't hesitate to talk to me or someone else after the service that has one of these lanyards on. We don't want you to leave today without knowing the blessing of having a relationship with Jesus. Jesus wants to transform you so he can transform your relationships. Here's a second application for those of you that do know Christ as your Lord and Savior. I think, I think what first, the, the verse four verses here call us to do is to maintain a growing walk with the Lord. If biblical fellowship requires a relationship with the Lord first, then we know from the scriptures that our intimacy with the Lord will directly influence our intimacy with others. In other words, if we plateau in our spiritual growth, we will also cap the quality of relationships we can have with others. On the other hand, if we continue to grow in our walk with him, the quality of our relationships will continue to increase, generally speaking. Walking in the light makes biblical fellowship possible. Now, there's a pivot that takes place here in verse 5. The first four verses focus on the vertical fellowship that believers can have with God the Father through Jesus Christ. The last six verses, verses 5 through 10, transition to the horizontal fellowship that believers can experience with one another who know the Lord. And so with that, look at verses 5 through 10 with me. John says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we are in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. In the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, 
and his word is not in us. Here's number two in your outline. Walking in the light requires authenticity. Walking in the light requires authenticity. You'll notice in verse six that darkness, walking in darkness, results in deception, meaning there's no commitment to the truth and there's no fellowship. Thus, here's letter A under major point two. Walking in darkness is deceitful and disables fellowship. Walking in darkness is deceitful and disables fellowship. Now, common, it's common for uh, many, many preachers, Bible teachers have taught this passage as meaning, uh, at least a, uh, in a very simplistic sense, that to walk in darkness is to walk in sin, to walk in light is to be holy and clean for the Lord. Although that's true, I think that's true, I think there's a second meaning to the, those metaphors, because context is king in Bible study. And in the context here, John is talking about fellowship. I mean, the term comes up at least four, maybe five times in the passage. And so in context, I think there's a dual meaning. And I put this on your outline as well. It'll be on the keynote screen behind me. Uh, Walking in darkness means to have unrepentant sin and concealing that sin from others. Because darkness, to use John's metaphor, hides. Darkness covers. It, it, It... It disguises things. It doesn't want to be seen. And so John's saying, we walk in darkness when we have sin that we love and we hide it from others. Now, this may not be an intentional hiding. It may be just being so busy that we don't allow others to get close enough to us to see our sin. Or to be so busy that, you know, I don't have time for a small group. I got so much on my plate. I mean, my kids are in sports, and I've got this to do, and I got that to do, and I got that to do. I don't have time. In fact, it's more comfortable, what we're really saying, it's more comfortable for me to be busy than to be in a group around people that might see I have some sin I need help dealing with. We're hiding. And so... So John says in verse 6, we lie and we do not practice the truth. In other words, individuals who do this struggle privately with sin, but never invite others into the struggle to help them. And in addition, because they hide in darkness, they're blind to other sins they have in their life that fellow believers could help them discover and gain victory over. We don't, verse 10, notice he says in verse 10, if we say we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. We make God out to be a liar. Well, I I would never say that. Of of course I'm a sinner. Well, I think if we went around the room today, um, and and if I was to ask, are you a sinner? Most of you would say, well, yes, of course I am. However, we can give the appearance that we are without sin by being too busy to be in a small group or holding others at arm's length or failing to commit to a church, kind of staying on the fringes where it's nice and safe because I don't want anybody to know the real me. And so when everybody looks at me, I want them to just see the perfect carry and, oh, wow, he's, he's got it all together, man. When John is saying, no, you don't. Nobody does. No, you don't. And that's okay. It's okay you don't have it all together. So in other words, I'm, what I'm trying to say is I've noticed that we can give the appearance of being sinless by what we don't say. By what we don't say. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German Lutheran pastor and theologian that served the Lord during World War II. He was very bold about his Christian faith during a time in Germany when it was against the law to be a Christian. He was eventually executed by the Gestapo in 1945 because of his faith in Christ, and he refused to renounce his faith in Christ, but also because he was a verbal opponent, a known public opponent of Adolf Hitler. In fact, some books, some researchers think that he was part of a conspiracy to have Hitler uh, assassinated. Bonhoeffer was quite passionate about Christian fellowship because of how vital it is when Christians are being persecuted. They, they crave to be together when they're persecuted, when there's pressure from the outside world. In fact, I, I, in some of my readings on Bonhoeffer, which I haven't read a lot, but I've read a little bit about him, I think he also pastored an underground church during, during his time, in an underground seminary he led. He recorded his thoughts on fellowship, which are extremely insightful, um, given his context of how important fellowship was for the church in Germany in World War II, while it's being oppressed and persecuted. It totally, you know, it's, a, it's hard for us, I think, as 21st century, first world Americans to understand what it would have been like. But he recorded his thoughts in a book called Life Together. And Life Together is considered sort of the Magna Carta on Christian fellowship. It's, it's a classic resource that a lot of people go to. Listen closely to, uh, as he explains the importance of inviting others to help us conquer sin in the context of biblical fellowship. Bonhoeffer writes, Sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. And I would add, sin, along with the adversary, will work to make you so busy that you don't deal with sin. You don't let others help you with it. So, uh, letter A, walking in darkness is deceitful and disables fellowship, but John also then says the inverse, which is letter B, walking in the light is truthful and enables fellowship. The key is walking in the light, opening yourself up and allowing people to love you and serve you and pray for you and encourage you. So walking in the light, similar to what I said with walking in the dark, has a dual meaning as well. It's more than just pursuing holiness. It's revealing sin to close believers. It's being vulnerable and saying, I struggle in this area. Please pray for me. Can you help me? John says if we say we have fellowship with him, to have fellowship with Christ means to be one with him. It means, to, it means that we love what Jesus loves. It means that we hate what Jesus hates. It means that we will want to be with him and he wants to be with us. And we, we agree with what Jesus says about us. But then when you look at verse 7, notice how 
if we claim to have fellowship with Christ, then John says we should walk in the light so we can have fellowship and be cleansed of our sin. To walk in the light means we bring what is in the dark, the darkness of our hearts, we bring it out so we can expose it and ask trusted friends to help us deal with it. Here's another insight from Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, and what he has to say about the connection between the call to follow Christ and being plugged into biblical fellowship. Bonhoeffer writes, Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Into the community you were called. The call was not meant for you alone. In the community of the called, you bear your cross, you struggle, you pray. But if you scorn the fellowship of the brethren, you reject the call of Jesus Christ. And thus your solitude can only be hurtful to you. Now again, as Americans, we can be tempted to read this and go, well, I'm not rejecting Christ. And Bonhoeffer and John are saying, yeah, you are, because Jesus says you need fellowship. And when you don't make time for it or don't open up or say you join a small group but you only share fifth party prayer requests like pray for my aunt's cousin in Florida who has a friend in Africa that's struggling. Well, we don't want to pray for them. God knows them. We want to pray for you. How can we pray for you? Oh, I'm, doing, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Just pray for my aunt's cousin who has a friend in Africa. We call those third, fourth, fifth party prayer requests. So, so in our small group, I taught our small group leaders, only first party prayer requests are allowed. How can we pray for you? What's God doing in your life? And that's because too many times, too many times, too many times, too many times, I have led groups where it comes time to share prayer requests, and it's pray for my aunt's cousin. I'm not sharing anything about myself. I don't want you to know me. I have it all together. I'm not saying I don't sin. Well, I kind of am because I won't share any sin struggles I have. Thus, walking in the light makes biblical fellowship possible. And what I think the Apostle John and Bonhoeffer are trying to say is that, and again, I'm trying to be, I have so much I want to say this morning, and I'm trying to boil it down as much as I can into like Twitter quotes, you know? I think, he's, I think both John and Bonhoeffer are trying to say this. Biblical fellowship can keep you from sin or sin can keep you from biblical fellowship. I want to say that one more time in case you want to write it down or tweet it. <laughs> biblical fellowship can keep you from sin or sin can keep you from experiencing biblical fellowship. Admitting that we have struggles is difficult, but there's hope. And John embeds it here in the passage. Letter C is this on your outline. The gospel frees us to enjoy fellowship. He, he restates portions of the gospel in the final verses of chapter 1. John says, um, And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's what I think John's trying to convey. If you already know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you don't need to act like you have it all together. Because he knows you don't, and we know you don't. And I don't either. 
John is saying there's safety and security in being able to confess your sins to Christ and to share your sin struggles with other believers. This means that no one can condemn you for your sin because Christ has already accepted you. And it means no one can say anything worse about you than the cross has already said. The cross says we are rebels, uh, wicked, and, and, and deserving of death because of our sin. Therefore, if anybody else criticizes me or says something about me that, you know, like, you're ugly, Carrie. Eh, okay, thanks, I know. Let's talk to the Lord about it. I, I'm doing the best I can with what I got. But that's still not as bad as what the cross says about me. The cross says, Carrie, you're wicked. You're, you're a rebel. You're, you're self-centered. Or, or another way, because again, I'm trying to be very, just as sink as I can. Another way I would put it is, I think John's trying to say that, hey, if you really understand that you've been forgiven and unconditionally loved by Jesus Christ because you've trusted him as your Lord and Savior, then why are you trying to still gain acceptance from fickle people that will change their minds how they feel about you? When you've got a Savior who says, I'll never change how I feel about you. Why, why are you trying still to put on a front and a facade like you've got it all together when you don't need to anymore? You've been forgiven for those things. What? John is saying, if you just confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you for your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So you can admit, I've confessed this to the Lord, I struggle with this, but I still need believers, other believers to help and encourage me and pray for me and give me wisdom. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I'm, I'm not saying you should walk into this multi-purpose room on a Sunday morning, go up to some visitor and say, hey, good morning, I'm Joe. You know, I had lustful thoughts for a woman this week. Could you pray for me? <laughs> or, or I'm not saying you go up to a visitor and say, hey, my name's Jennifer, and I started planning how to kill my husband this week. Can you pray for me? That's not the appropriate place, okay? Now... I know some of you are sitting here going, you didn't need to say that, Pastor Kerry. But then there's others of you that are going, oh, good, I'm glad you said that because I was thinking about doing that because I wanted to apply the message right away after the sermon. So I hate that I have to explain this, but again, because I've had some traumatic experiences in small groups and church life, I felt I should get it out there. The best place for this kind of transparency is in a Vanguard V group, okay? We've put some things in place. We have a covenant that our group signs. Our leaders have been trained to fence gossip and, and slander and things like that so that the groups can be a safe place to share. What's, what's said in the group stays in the group. And if you've decided not to sign up for a V group because you're too busy or you have some other excuse, the question I have for you is this, then where are you going to find biblical fellowship at? Where, where are you going to get it? And, and what are you going to tell the Lord when you stand before him someday, which could be any day, because none of us has promised tomorrow. What are you going to tell the Lord when he asks you, how come you weren't plugged in and committed to my local church, man? What's going on? Do you think he would be satisfied with your excuse? Well, I was busy. That's what I... I, I 
I, sometimes I say this to people, sometimes I want to say it, but I'm afraid to say it to them when they give me excuses of why they can't be in a small group or, you know, didn't fall on the right day of week, I've booked up every other day of the week, so I really only have one night a week I'm available. I sometimes want to say, are you going to tell the Lord that? You think he's going to be okay with that? He's the God of Isaiah 6 that Isaiah went... Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and he fell on his face. You're going to tell the Lord that? So, here's an application. There's two that I've come up with. One, if you haven't already, commit to a small group. The best way to find biblical fellowship in a church, in our church, is by committing to an adult small group. We call them V-groups. And when you make being in a V group a priority in your schedule, what you are saying to the Lord with your actions is, Lord, I agree with what you have said about me in your word that I need to give others permission to help me grow in Christ. I want to experience intentional spiritual growth in the context of loving, accountable relationships because I agree with what you're saying, Lord, that this needs to be a priority for me. Research and history have proven that Christ followers need fellowship like charcoal briquettes need community on a grill. When isolated, a briquette gets cold and won't stay hot. But when lumped together in a pile, they stay hot for hours and hours and hours. That means when, when you make time to be in a group a smaller context, smaller group of believers, hearing the God stories, testimonies, encouragement, prayer, getting into the Word together can help keep you hot for Jesus. It can help keep your faith burning. But when you make yourself busy, you actually get busy, you say yes to too many things because you want to please too many people and you don't want to please the Lord, what happens is you get isolated and you get away from the, from the group of charcoal briquettes. And your faith gets cold. In fact, I can tell you, in 25 years of walking with Jesus, I have never met an isolated, professing Christian that was on fire for Jesus. I can't think of one. I can't think of somebody that was too busy to be plugged in, serving in a group, in a church, in the life of a church, who also was, as we say, the five W's here at Vanguard, uh, Growing in the word, worshiping, working for Christ, walking in fellowship with others, and witnessing. Can't think of any. Here's another application, and that is to invite accountability into your life. Prayerfully seek out a couple of believers to sharpen you. They, they should be of the same gender as you, and they should demonstrate a growing walk with the Lord. This doesn't have to be complex. It can be as simple as going to another brother or sister in the Lord and saying, hey, you know, I struggle, um, for example, with having a consistent uh, quiet time, devotional time. Um, you seem to be very disciplined in this area. Uh, would you mind asking me about my daily devotions next week? And, and, and are, is there any tips you can give me that, that might help me? What have you found that works for you? Because I think it'll help me maintain a rhythm with the Lord. And then I have found personally in my own life that knowing I'm going to be asked motivates me. Right? 
I mean, it's just like uh, over the years, I, I periodically have had um, workout partners, and it's interesting how um, I make it to the gym more often when I know a good friend's going to be there counting on me. Because I don't want to get the shame text. Where are you at, you piece of sloth, laying in bed? I'm here by myself working out, you know? <laughs> it's, I'm motivated to do that. Accountability motivates me, and it will motivate you too. I remember the first time that I experienced biblical fellowship. Uh, Maya and I had just graduated from college and gotten married and moved into an apartment, a small apartment in Iowa City, Iowa. That life transition meant several things for us. Um, it, It meant graduating from the campus ministry groups we had been part of, and it meant graduating from our college Sunday school class we had been part of for a couple years. You know, it would have looked kind of weird if we were newlyweds, but we were still going back to the college Bible study. And I think the students would be like, aren't you supposed to be moving on with your life now? We love you, but it's our turn now to carry the mantle of the gospel on this campus. You've done enough. Go be with the big people. So recognizing my need for biblical fellowship and spiritual growth, I decided to start a men's Bible study in our apartment. And... Um, Decided to do it for some of the fellows in, in my church that I had been chatting with, and I found they didn't have a group either, and so we were looking for some of the same things. So we had a couple of hobbits, an elf. I was the dwarf, of course, and uh, there was a prince and a wizard. And uh, seriously, our backgrounds were as diverse as the Fellowship of the Ring, um, but we all shared one thing in common. We had all been radically transformed by the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. We all loved the Lord, and we wanted to grow in the Lord. We were a group of acquaintances from different backgrounds with various strengths and weaknesses that set aside our differences for a greater cause, the cause of being all that we could for Jesus Christ. And so we met weekly and dug into the scriptures together. We, we encouraged each other. Um, on the night we met and throughout the week with quick phone calls, this, is, this was before texting and smartphones, by the way, when you actually picked up the phone and called people. Not being snarky, just saying. Um, we challenged each other, and when necessary, we held each other accountable. I was remembering uh, recently uh, one brother asking for prayer for a dating relationship he was in. I remember we were in that small apartment living room, and and it's like five, six of us dudes, and, and um, we were sharing prayer requests at the end of our Bible study, and, and we were like, first party only, man, first party only. The Lord will take care of your aunt's friend in Africa. So, um, so how can we pray for you? And he, he mentions in a dating relationship, but everything he was sharing about this gal he was dating indicated she was not a born-again Christian. And so we picked up on that, and eventually a couple of us in the group said, dude, Sounds like she's not saved. Um, like, you know what God's word has to say about being unequally yoked in a relationship and what, what you're doing is not pleasing the Lord, man. And you need, to, you need to break up with her. You need to end that relationship. And we're going to pray for you, and we're going to ask you next week whether you did that. And, and he did. You know. But it was, it was the first time I was seeing it played out, you know, real... We love you enough, but we're not trying to please you. We, we fear the Lord more, and we want to please the Lord more. So 
in order to please the Lord, we'll tell you in love what you need to hear. And then we'll do everything we can to support you and encourage you to help you get there and do that. So who do you have in your life that can do that for you? I'm confident that if you ask the Lord to provide those kinds of relationships for you, he will, if you're willing to make time for them. Because walking in the light makes biblical fellowship possible. Would you join me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you that of the many multitude of benefits that can come from a relationship with Jesus Christ, one of them is healthier relationships with other believers. And I thank you, Lord, that I've been, I've been blessed to have experienced biblical fellowship from time to time with other believers where we were able to encourage and exhort and, and love each other, but also, um, if necessary, uh, reconcile, confess, and repent of sin and forgive each other and, and have hard conversations and sharpen one another and make each other better. I thank you for that. I didn't have that before I knew Christ in the world as an unbeliever. And Lord, I realize that there are some here today that are saying, you know, Pastor, they're, they're thinking, I, I want this and I've tried to, to get this, but I've been hurt. And I don't know if I can trust anybody again like this. Father, would you please speak to them and minister to them? Would you help them to see how, how you can redeem hurt? The purpose, help them to see that the purpose for the Christian life is not to go through life never getting hurt again. But instead, you redeem hurt. You use it for good to teach us. You use it to fill in gaps where we lack knowledge and wisdom. And so, Father, uh, I pray for our groups here at Vanguard that you would help our groups to apply the scriptures together and grow in Christ together. And for those that are not in a group, would you move in their hearts and in their schedules so that they would make time for it and make it a priority. And Lord, I ask, please, would you raise up more small group leaders and raise up more people so that we can be a church of small groups that lives out the principles of biblical fellowship so that anybody that would come and visit would say, there's something different, something refreshingly different about this church. Would you help us, Lord, to build relationships in this church that are better and deeper and richer and stronger than the ones the world has. Because we know it's your will. That's what you want. And most of all, thank you, Lord, for making it possible for us to have a relationship with you, that fellowship with you is possible through Jesus Christ. We love you and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Again, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast by Pastor Kerry Knack. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope to see you at Vanguard Bible Church.